Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Where there's no risk, there's no reward. Crack open any history book and you'll find the stories of people who were willing to gamble everything to achieve their dreams. One of those people was Jean Beret. He was born in rural France in 1740 and was fated to become a farmer just like his dad. But Jean didn't want to grow plants. He wanted to study them. He dreamed of becoming a botanist. And although the cards were stacked against him, Jean had enough bravery and determination to break away from the farm and find work as a botanist assistant in Paris. He worked alongside Philibert Commerson, a more established botanist who collected and cataloged new plant species. Commerson was so famous that in 1767, he was hand-selected by King Louis XV for an exciting expedition. Two government-funded naval ships were about to take off for a trip around the globe. The king appointed Commerson as the head botanist on a ship called the Etoile, and Commerson asked Jean Beret to come along as his botanical assistant slash cabin boy. At 27 years old, Jean wasn't exactly a boy, but he also wasn't in any position to turn down such a big offer. He happily accepted, and that same year, he and Commerson boarded the Etoile and took off on the adventure of a lifetime. Only the conditions on the ship were harsher than anything Jean might have imagined. With over 100 men on board, the quarters were cramped and dirty. Food and water were scarce. It would take months to get from one destination to the next, which meant months of floating in the wide open sea. At one point when rations were dangerously low, the crew was reduced to eating rats. Likely due to this horrible living situation, Commerson became ill. He developed an ulcer on his leg that wouldn't heal. And while Jean had dreamed of doing glamorous international botanical research, he wound up caring for his sick employer for the majority of the voyage. Still, there were good moments. When the Etoile reached Brazil, for example, Jean ventured inland by himself to survey the plants. There he made one of the most famous discoveries of the entire expedition, a previously unknown, at least unknown to Europeans, vining flower known as the Bougainvillea. The ship also made stops in Madagascar and Papua New Guinea, among others. Jean cataloged and took samples of hundreds of different plant species. And then, about a year into the journey, the ship landed on Tahiti. And that's where everything fell apart for Jean. When the crew stepped off the ship, they were approached by local Tahitians. Right away, a group of men surrounded Jean. They took note of his shorter-than-average stature and his beardless chin. According to one retelling, a Tahitian man called Jean Mahu, which was a word for a person who lives as a different gender than the one they were assigned at birth. The label didn't come with any judgment. Trans people were respected in Tahiti. 
but it did create a huge problem for Jeanne. You see, Jeanne wasn't trans, but she wasn't a cis man either. Her real name was Jean, and she'd spent her entire year-long trip aboard the Etoile living in disguise. There was only one person who knew her real identity, Philibert Commerson, who was both her employer and her lover. Ever since Jean had broken away from the farm in rural France, she had been living and working with Commerson. They'd made great botanical discoveries together, and they'd also had a son, who they agreed to put up for adoption, most likely to keep their relationship a secret. So, as you'd imagine, when Commerson accepted the position as head botanist on the Etoile, Jean's company was never in question. But because 18th century French law specifically forbade women from stepping foot on naval ships, she could only go if she masqueraded as a man. And the disguise had worked. Well, sort of. The fact that Jean never changed clothes around any of the other men had aroused suspicion, and the call-out in Tahiti was the nail in her coffin. In response to the discovery, the crew agreed to take Jean and Commerson only as far as Mauritius, an East African island nation where there was a French settlement. When the Etoile took off again without them, they were basically stranded. They made the best of a horrible situation, though, continuing their botanical work for about five years. And then Commerson died suddenly, leaving Jean all alone. Always one to rise up in the face of adversity, Jean opened a tavern so that she would be able to support herself. Less than a year later, she met a French army officer who was visiting the island. She married him. Although, whether the nuptials were motivated by love or the promise of a trip back to France, we can't be sure. Nevertheless, Jean eventually made it back home to Paris. And here's the real kicker. She had always been motivated by two things, studying botany and staying with Philibert Commerson. She had never really meant to make history, but she did, and not for anything to do with flowering vines. You see, it turns out that that final trip back to France made Jean Beret the first woman in recorded history to have ever circumnavigated the globe. And I guess you could say that her risks certainly paid off. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Can I say something obvious to you? Books are special. They can alter a person's viewpoint, shift their mood, and even change their life. A good book is hard to put down. A great book is one that never leaves you, even after you've closed the cover. But one book has been keeping people up at night for the last 30 years. And it's not that it's scary or suspenseful. It's because of an owl. On the Trail of the Golden Owl was written by French author Regis Hauser in 1993 although the idea had come to him about a decade and a half earlier. It had been a serious project, requiring upwards of 450 hours to complete. But this wasn't just any novel or nonfiction work. By the time he was done, Hauser had crafted 11 elaborate clues. You see, what he had devised was a treasure hunt. Artist Michel Becker provided 11 paintings for the book, each one just as beautiful and detailed as the clues they accompanied. Together, they would guide one resourceful sleuth to the location of the final prize, a 10-inch-tall bronze statue of an owl. 
Now, normally such a meager reward wouldn't be enough to entice amateur treasure hunters to devote years to its discovery, but this owl was different. It was only a placeholder. Once it was found, it could be exchanged by the winner for the real owl, an identical version cast in silver and gold, with diamonds, rubies, and other gems all over its head and body. And that owl is worth about $250,000 today. Both statues had been designed by Becker, with the jewel-encrusted version stored safely in Paris. The bronze bird was buried by Hauser somewhere in France. He published his book of clues under the pseudonym Max Valentin and waited for readers to begin their search. The idea was to have the hunt last only a few months, but the clues proved to be more difficult to solve than expected. Despite the book's popularity and the obsessive nature of the hunters, no one has been able to find the golden owl that Hauser buried. And this includes a high-powered lawyer at a French law firm and groups of dedicated treasure seekers who pick apart the clues for some greater meaning. These associations have developed their own language of sorts when discussing the clues. For example, le mega is the term for mega astuce, a superstructure on the puzzle. And la flèche d'Apollon refers to Apollo's arrow, a component of clue number six. But a few sections have been solved already. For example, the clue titled Opening was successfully decoded and revealed the city in which the hunt was meant to begin, Bruges in Belgium. Only a few clues have been successfully solved, though, with others either answered in part or still entirely obscured. Sadly, though, in 2009, Hauser passed away, and with him went the secrets of the owl's location. Luckily, he had written it down and passed it on to Becker, thus keeping the game alive. In 2021, the artist and co-founder of the puzzle ventured to the original burial site, where Hauser had planted the bronze owl all those years ago. He brought with him a legal bailiff as a witness to verify that the statue was still there. It was only meant to have been buried under three feet of dirt, but Becker shoveled away, waiting for the clink of metal against metal. After three hours, he finally heard it. He dropped to his knees and began scraping away the soil with his fingers, feeling for the telltale sign of the statue he'd crafted three decades earlier. And it took some doing, but he eventually pried it free from its grave. It was still wrapped in its protective plastic. He tore it away, only to reveal an aged, rusted owl statue. And so Becker got rid of it. But don't worry, the hunt is still ongoing. He merely replaced it with a brand new bronze owl statue, which has remained in the same secret hiding place it is always occupied. The game is still afoot today, and the men and women who have been searching for this Maltese owl are no closer to finding it now than they were 30 years ago. Only Michelle Becker knows where it is for sure. And sadly, he isn't talking. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.